You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Offensively, the, the freshman Grimm, J.D. Spillman, we're force-feeding Spillman because we think he's a really good football player and, I, and he could play in the return game. I think in, in our prototype from years past, he's the perfect flanker. Even Cherry, he's a weird little kid, but, but damn it, he's going to be good. And I'm excited to see him this fall camp. And then I know what we're talking about is two freshmen that we don't redshirt at receiver. If we do it that way, we better have a really good plan. And that's, I'm talking to myself, about making sure that they play enough. They're, they're in our conversation, and we'll have to decide probably by Tuesday. And Tuesday has come and gone. Welcome here to the Husker Online Show. You heard of Mike, head coach Mike Riley and wide receiver Brandon Riley uh, talking about freshman wide receiver Darian Grimm. And he was a guy that, you know, was looked at to have a, a role on this team this year at a very loaded position. He enrolled early to Nebraska, but um, it has since been announced uh, Thursday evening by Darian Grimm that he is gone. He is leaving Nebraska. And one of the more shocking transfer pieces of news, because this was a guy that had talent. He was going to crack the rotation at maybe Nebraska's most loaded position and get some snaps. And then after this year in 2017, he was set up to be one of Nebraska's best wide receivers, um, you know, along with DeMornay Pearsonell and Stanley Morgan Jr. And um, it's a real puzzle, uh, Robin, when you look at this as we bring in Robin Washington and Nate Klaus. Yeah, from a football standpoint, I mean, there's really no reason why you would leave this situation. I mean, you're a freshman who came here early, played all spring ball, made it through darn near all fall camp, and you're in line to, you know, crack the rotation as a true freshman in one of the deepest positions as the team. So uh, there clearly has to be more uh, in play here. Uh, and I know, I, I don't really know him that well, Nate, Nate you could probably speak to this more, but just from the surface, he seems like kind of a, a different kid. Um, and so maybe, you know, there were some other things going on with, you know, with him personally that, uh, you know, we don't know about, but, uh, you know, clearly from a football standpoint, this doesn't make sense uh, much at all. Yeah, Darian is kind of a different cat, you know, when talking with him throughout the recruiting process and everything, um, he was a little bit different, but I mean, so far it seemed at least on the surface that he had acclimated to Lincoln, but obviously that wasn't the case because, um, you know, it sounds like he tried to leave at some point during spring football. Um, and there's no reason why, you know, a guy like that would leave if, if he's before the first snap of the season, if he's in line to see some playing time and had gone through the trouble of being an early enrollee. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's hard to wrap your head around, but obviously he wasn't very happy in Lincoln or just did not feel like he uh, was a fit here. You know, when, when I hear a guy saying he's going to leave or those rumors as you're listening here to the Husker online show, we're talking about uh, Darian Grimm's departure from the program uh, this week, which happened suddenly. I, I don't get too worked up about freshman rumors because I think you go back and read Mike Babcock, the legendary Husker writers books about things. He did one where he interviewed like a hundred different players talking about their time at Nebraska. And several of them talked about how they almost left as freshmen. So I don't get necessarily you know, too worked up because I've heard this so many times. There are guys on this team right now that we've talked about off air privately that we thought were going to leave and never left. So I, I thought, Robin, that this was going to be one of those things again where, okay, it's a kid being a kid. He's going to have that moment and realize I'm being an idiot and I'm going to come back to Nebraska. But 
every he's just this guy was just wired differently clearly um and just didn't want to be here yeah and again you know, like i said there, there has to be other issues at play here because you know the, he had a really bright future here so um you know i mean i guess you, know, you got to do what's best for you and clearly he didn't think that staying in lincoln and, and being a nebraska corn husker was the right fit for him so I guess best of luck. Better to decide it now than you know midway through the season and making some you know even more dramatic exit. But um, you know the, clearly it's disappointing because I think that you know he had a again a real real promising uh, you know potential uh, here in Nebraska's offense. You know I know you know Keith Williams and Danny Langsdorf and uh, with the other wide receivers had nothing but good things to say about him as a football player. So uh, clearly it's a loss uh, you know from from a X's and O standpoint. But again, if a guy doesn't want to be here, you know it's it's your opportunity to move on. Nate, there are two things things that have happened here in the last seven to 10 days that I think could have changed a lot of this. Number one, the Keith Williams situation with his suspension, where he's going to be away from the program for a total of seven weeks and four games. But the second was this rapid rise of JD Spielman, who I think was somebody that we all assumed would probably just redshirt. Um, but all of a sudden, not only is he going to play, I mean, he's made this rapid rise in the program. Mike Riley's talked about him. He made one of the best catches in the scrimmage on Saturday. He saw legitimate time in the scrimmage. Do you think any of these two factors with Keith Williams and J.D. Spielman played a factor in Darian Grimm's mindset? I think they probably had something to do with it. Obviously, uh, Darian Grimm had a very good relationship with Keith Williams going back to you know when Keith Williams started recruiting him as a junior in high school and they started building that relationship. Now, Williams didn't offer Grimm until after the first game of his senior year, but there had been communication between the two. And Keith Williams is also close with Latif Grimm, uh, Darian's father. So there's some sort of relationship there uh, that dates back quite a ways. So with him out of the picture during his suspension, I'm sure that um, you know that maybe added to the the difficulty that Darian was going through at this point in time, and then to see a freshman that came in you know during this summer and kind of rise up the the depth chart and maybe even pass him, uh, you know, probably maybe didn't sit very well with him. But the the fact of the matter is that both these guys were going to play as true freshmen as as we got close to the season. So uh, I think that you know that while they probably had something to do with his departure, I don't think that those were necessarily the the things that that caused him or that pushed him over the edge to leave I think that uh, this is probably more than anything a, a maturity issue or just a just a feeling of him not not being completely comfortable here you're listening here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan Nate Klaus Robin Washit as we open this week's show talking about the sudden departure of freshman wide receiver Darian Grimm and this comes on the heels of the Keith Williams news obviously to start fall camp the death of Sam Foltz Gerald Foster's injury. Um, there have been, Robin, just a lot of hurdles, speed bumps, setbacks that this team has had to go through here over the month of August. I mean, it's pretty uh, unbelievable. I mean, I've said this before, but this is probably the most you know drama-filled fall that I've ever experienced covering this team, and that goes back to you know 2002. So uh, clearly, these are some unusual circumstances that this team is having to go through, and uh, that's not even to mention AJ Bush, AJ Bush, and you know the Brandon Riley situation. I mean, just one thing after another with this team, and uh, I'm personally, and I'm sure a lot of other people are just you know waiting for that first game to finally get here, so we can finally get some football to talk about underway, and you know kind of put these off the field issues and distractions uh, behind us. But clearly this is something that is going to be a major concern is how this team coming off a very disappointing season a year ago is able to respond and make that jump uh, to improve from, you know, what, what they were last year. Yeah. They just need to get some 
resume tape out there and, and get some live bullets going because yeah. I feel like this off season and this month has just really dragged on. And, you know, the game week can't get here soon enough. Fresno State can't get to Lincoln soon enough. The night game, Atmosphere Memorial Stadium with all the recruits. Uh, I mean, there's just so much to look forward to. And, and it's just a matter now, Nate, of getting through this week. Yeah, you got to get through this week and push through. And uh, and I think the players see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and like you mentioned, they, they can't wait for that to finally get here. And, and once that happens, I, I think it'll kind of – you kind of go into autopilot. You know, I, I think things will – everyone will kind of settle back in and, and, uh, um, and get going. So, um, you know, looking forward to next week getting here. All right, well, we have a full show on tap. When we come back, we'll talk offensive storylines. And later in the show, we'll talk about everything that's happened – on defense for the Huskers here um, in that final week of fall camp. Uh, then we'll, we'll bring in our, our second intern of Husker Online. Last week we heard from David Eichel, Matt Reynoldson, uh, our newest member of the Husker Online team. We'll bring on the questions from the Husker Online radio mailbag, and then we'll close the show with Nate Klaus giving us the latest in the world of Husker recruiting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. He's kind of been in a different situation just because a week ago he was probably thinking he was redshirting on scout team for the year. Now that he's in that role, it's, it's a change of pace, and uh, i got to help him out there as much as I can. And uh, once you know the where you're going, it's all up to him to make the blocks himself. So that's kind of what I'm doing. We're looking at it this week. We're going to look at it with, with Sam and Cole and Bo and kind of make a decision on uh, who that will be if, if Corey can't go. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. You heard senior offensive lineman Dylan Utter and offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf talking about the puzzle they are trying to put together right now at left guard. At this very moment, it appears Bo Wilson, uh, the true freshman out of Kansas City, would be the starter for Nebraska. Um, but there's still some hope Corey Whitaker could come back. They're looking at Sam Hahn, uh, a walk-on from DeWitt Tri-County, fifth-year senior, and then uh, another walk-on named Cole Conrad. Uh, from Fremont Archbishop Bergen. Um, so they're really weighing their options as we bring in Nate Klaus and Robin Washett. Um, and, and it's that Gerald Foster injury coupled by this Corey Whitaker injury, Robin, that's two of Nebraska's six top offensive linemen, um, has really, I think, put them in a bind where they're going to be forced probably to start Bo Wilson. Yeah, and I guess right now as it stands, uh, you know, they haven't exactly named Bo Wilson the starter. I mean, it's a four-man competition with the guys that you've mentioned, and ideally they're still holding out hope that Corey Whitaker can come back and play in that Fresno State game. They haven't ruled that out, but uh, again, that's you know, kind of asking a lot on a guy that just had arthroscopic surgery on his knee to, to come back and be able to play in a matter of you know less than two weeks. So, uh, yeah, if it comes down to it, I mean, Bo Wilson is in position to be a starter as a true freshman at guard. And you look at the list of guys that have made that uh, jump. Uh, it's very uh, few and uh, elite company. Uh, Jacob Hickman is the only Nebraska player to make a start as a true freshman at guard in Nebraska history. Uh, so uh, Bo Wilson would be kind of uh, doing uncharted uh, waters there uh, to, to, to make that jump. But to his credit, Mike Cavanaugh called him the most technically sound guy he recruited in this past offensive line ca- uh, class and is probably one of the better run blockers of that group. So, I mean, the guy is about as well-coached and fine-tuned as you're going to get as a true freshman. But still, that's asking a lot for a first-year guy to come in and, and make that jump right away. Nate, how, how surprised are you about the rise of Bo Wilson? I mean, this was somebody that... 
didn't have a lot of notoriety out of high school. And, you know, I've talked to some other coaches that are non-Power 5 coaches that recruit D1 Kansas City, and and they were surprised Nebraska took this guy. And, you know, I, I think you got to credit Mike Cavanaugh. He's got a good eye for what he wants, and he clearly saw something in this guy that a lot of other – you know, programs even like Kansas State and, and neighboring programs nearby like Missouri didn't see in Bo Wilson. It is it is somewhat surprising just based off of the the level of recruiting attention Bo received or didn't receive coming out of high school. Uh, and I, I think he was hurt by a couple of things. He, he's first of all he's a six two kid. He, he's not he doesn't have your ideal height there. Um, you know, and so I think automatically people looked at him as a center or possibly a guard. Um, you know, and, and the fact that Missouri didn't offer him I think was was kind of telling or maybe scared a lot of people off because uh, his his head coach in high school was Royce Bame. His son Evan Bame was a four year starter at Missouri, and for the Tigers to not offer someone who'd been coached by Royce and who had uh, you know come from the same program as Evan Bame, I think threw up a lot of red flags. But obviously, like you said, Mike Cavanaugh saw a, a lot of something that he liked out of out of uh, Bo Wilson, uh, and Royce Bame had done an excellent job of coaching this kid and getting him ready to play. Uh, he was physically ready to play. Maybe doesn't have the measurables, but we've seen him come in and, and be ready to go. And I think maybe the the other story here is that he's jumped right ahead of a guy like Jalen Barnett, who has shown some promise, but maybe just hasn't gotten it all to click together right away. But uh, yeah, a lot of credit to to Bo Wilson. I think it's impressive the the way that he's been able to. Uh, to put himself right in the mix ahead of some other guys who are highly recruited. The best analogy I've heard about Jalen Barnett, as we talk about this left guard situation on the Husker Online show, is he really right now is kind of where Tanner Farmer was at a year ago. I think he's overweight. I think he needs to kind of focus and, and really show that he wants it. He's got the potential, but you can just tell he kind of lumbers around out there still. I think he needs to kind of really focus, kind of like what Tanner Farmer did, dropping the 30-plus pounds in one year, and then he'll really move more. We saw him even get hurt in the scrimmage again, and Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff, I think, would go away if he was a lighter, quicker weight where he was better on his feet. And uh, it just hasn't all the way clicked, but the flashes have been there for Jalen Barnett. He's got such a different body type uh, than any other lineman in that group. I mean, he's just got such a lower body to him. And uh, that, you know, can be a very good thing. But at the same time, you know, he's got to be able to, you know, form that weight into good weight. And I think that's still a work in progress. Maybe he can uh, get Mark Manning to let him on the wrestling team a little (laughs) bit to to shed that down. But uh, yeah, I mean, you don't, you're not that high profile of a guy coming out of high school for, for, for no reason. I mean, not clearly the guy is a good player and he's gotten some praise from both Mike Cavanaugh and Danny Langsdorf and Mike Riley. And they, they all like him, but I still don't think he's quite ready to really be, you know, the, the kind of the guy on an offensive line just yet, which is why a true freshman is already pushing for that job. It's no doubt a, a unique situation here for Nebraska. And as we move it on here in offensive storylines, Two-minute offense has been a real concern, and it's been talked about by Mike Riley, Danny Langsdorf. We witnessed it firsthand in the scrimmage with Tommy Armstrong in the number one offense. Um, He had two drives with the two-minute offense, and he threw two interceptions. Uh, One of them was to Aaron Williams, and and the other, I believe, was to Joshua Kalu. I got the second interception. Yeah, I think so. Um, But Tommy Armstrong did not look good in that two-minute, no timeout, where you have to pass every time situation. And, Nate, that is a concern. I mean, to me – there's going to be a lot of tight games this year. It's not like Nebraska is going to roll out the ball and dominate. Um, that end of the half drive, 
is a huge drive in a game. And obviously that final drive in the fourth quarter when you need to score points without timeouts, um, that is an issue with his offense right now. It is a concern. And, and obviously with all the close games that Nebraska had last year, you got to got to figure they're going to be in a, a number of close games again this year. But, um, you know, I wasn't completely surprised to see that out of Tommy because, um, you know, because we, we've seen it before. But at the same time, I also still think that Tommy's kind of a gamer. He, he's the type of kid who in a real time, real situation, real two minute drill uh, seems to be kind of a rhythm passer, gets into gets into a rhythm. And, and we've seen him be able to operate or move the ball down the field in chunks quickly in the past. So I, I don't know what to make out of it. It's obviously a concern. It's a concern to the coaches. They've they've expressed as much. But at the same time, I don't know if maybe we're still overanalyzing it a little bit too much, uh, you know, out of practice and out of kind of a, a simulated situation. I think there's just that sour taste, you know, that four-year quarterback syndrome taste that we have with a guy that hasn't delivered a championship. And and you see the reasons why with the bad decisions and the interceptions. And when you see them in a fall camp scrimmage come up again, the same decisions that we saw against Iowa and, and some other big losses this past year, um, you know, it just, I think, sours a lot of people when they see it and then when they hear it from us, uh, the people that get to watch practice. It's just disappointing because you're talking about a guy going to his fourth year as a starter and his fifth year in the program, and he's still making the same mistakes that he was as a freshman. Uh, and I mean, those are the things that have really held Nebraska's offense back is, you know, Tommy's inability to just make the safe play and taking far too many risks, making bad decisions with the football and, you know, turnovers and, you know, just overall bad plays resulting uh, because of those decisions. And we've seen him. I mean, he, he, there was one play where he was rolling to his left. He threw across his body off his back foot and he got picked off. I mean, you don't get that from a fourth year starter. I mean, you cannot make those mistakes. And so to Nebraska's credit, they're trying to take those options off the table for him by shrink you know, the field by, yeah shrink the field really emphasize your check downs short passes just get the ball out of his hands make the safe play let your offensive skill guys do the work for you and we'll see if that can finally get pounded into his head by the time the first game starts but we're this far along and he's still making those those mistakes and that's a big issue and when you play high caliber opponents like oregon and ohio state that have speed and nfl guys in the secondary they will make interceptions on those types of mm -hmm. balls more often than not. So no doubt uh, a concern here for Nebraska with that two-minute offense and kind of limiting those mistakes of Tommy Armstrong. When we come back here on the show, uh, we're going to shift over to defense, and uh, we got Mark Banker's take on the comments from Jerry DiNardo. Uh, the BTN analyst said that Nebraska should be happy if they go to a bowl game in 2016 that got a lot of reaction here's we'll hear mark banker's reaction next you're listening here to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics i love jerry donardo i almost went to work for him one time we had a nice italian dinner at a nice italian restaurant in Bloomington. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Uh, what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on getting ready and make, making sure that we beat Fresno State in the first game of the season, uh, even if we've got them beaten, there's still one second on the clock. We're going we're gonna to fight tooth and nail. Well, I mean, it's, it's what is said. I mean, can't do anything about that. Good for him. That's a good observation. And welcome back here to the Oscar Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. And you just heard Nebraska's defensive coordinator, Mark Banker, uh, reacting to the comments made by the Big Ten Network's Jerry DiNardo, a former head coach at LSU in both Indiana and other places. Uh, DiNardo basically said in so many ways, Nebraska should be happy in 2016 if they go to a bowl game. And 
you know, that, that really um, hit a lot of nerves here in Nebraska because you look at the home schedule alone, there's going to be six home games where Nebraska is going to be a decisive favorite on. And you would think this team can at least win a couple on the road and eight wins should happen, um, you know, if things fall right. But uh, Donardo made a very strong take. And, you know, I, I think, Robin, that ruffled a lot of feathers here around the state of Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, this is like... Uh, kind of so far out of left field to, to say that Nebraska should just be content making a bowl. I mean, that's it seems completely ridiculous. And one thing you got to keep in mind with these BTN guys is uh, a lot of times they don't do a lot of research. Let's keep in mind this is the same outlet that said Greg McMullen was going to be a star on the defensive line this year. So oh. you take it for what it's worth. And, you know, these guys basically you know, scrap together a few notes and show up on the you know campus. You know, watch a cup, watch one practice, and then make these you know kind of hot takes, hot take, decisive you know season defining you know evaluations uh, based off one practice and you know a couple conversations with the coaching staff so yes it was strange that you know a guy that's paid to hype up the big 10 network would say something about one of its key members like that but again you know the, the amount of research put into making that evaluation probably wasn't all that extensive yeah these guys nate go on 14 days of practice around the big 10 over about a two or two and a half week period and um, usually it's all kind of fluff and cheerleading and you know you see stuff like oh purdue is much improved and yeah. you know and stuff like but that this was a little bit different for what you're usually hearing out of these btn guys well and i think that maybe jerry donardo has been um you know kind of looked bad the past couple of years because he has been beating nebraska's drum for the last two or three times that they've come through town he said how how good the team looks and how physical they are and so on and so forth and then all of a sudden they go out and kind of underperform or or look you know bad and some blowout losses so uh, maybe he's tempering his own expectations it was it was funny to me that uh, as he's saying that that Nebraska is going to be lucky to to you know get to a bowl game or to win a bowl game and Howard Griffith you could tell that he's like what really like I I could feel that there was maybe some uh, maybe some tension I don't know if that's the right word but Howard Griffith I don't think necessarily agreed with that but uh, the big thing that stood out to me is that Jerry does not like the way Nebraska practices. He said it several times. He doesn't think that they're, they're physical enough. And I don't know if that's just the, the one practice they were at, you know, maybe was, was one where they backed some guys down or what. But uh, he doesn't necessarily like the way they practice. He said that the practices are a little laid back, kind of a, a West Coast feel to them, more, more easygoing practices. So, and that has something to do with, with the way that um, – or how he feels – Nebraska is going to do this year, apparently. I have this theory, though, with the addition of Billy Devaney, the former NFL general manager on staff, kind of now is basically the number two guy in charge, that he's maybe influenced Mike Riley a little bit on how they practice and what they're doing in some respects, or at least has his ear on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's a personnel guy, and he knows that to keep guys on the field, you can't beat them down every day in practice, especially during fall camp. I mean, that whole way of thinking that fall camp is the time to get guys into football shape and harden them up. Football is a year-round deal. These guys are training every day of every month of the year, and so you don't need to get into football shape by beating these guys up, uh, you know, with two-a-day practices and, you know, 100-degree heat. I mean, that's just not the way the game is today. So this idea that you need to sit there and just, you know, go head-to-head full-on tackling drills for a full month to get ready for the season is so outdated. And uh, I think, you know, this is probably the, the new right approach Nebraska's taking now. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. Let, let's shift over now to the talking defense. 
Uh, Nate, I want to ask you this question out of the gate. What is your what do you like the most about this defense right now, and, and what's your biggest concern or question? Oh, uh, really? I like the I like the back seven. I, I think that's an established secondary. Um, I think you feel very comfortable with your starters there. The linebacking core is is very very improved and deep. You got a ton of athletes there. I mean. You, you look at these guys from top to bottom and you have probably five or six guys that you could count on to start for you at any point in time and that you would feel comfortable with. And then you've got a, a few more um, out of that group that can really help you out on special teams and, and uh, in, in all different phases of the game. So I like that back seven. The biggest area of concern to me is, is the pass rush up front. I, I think, you know, we really, st- we haven't seen anyone who's, who's shown the ability to consistently get after uh, the quarterback there. There's been reports that Alex Davis has really emerged here as of late, and we saw maybe a couple flashes of that at, at the last scrimmage, but um, that's definitely the biggest area of concern for me. Yeah, I don't – Robin, I just don't see anybody on this team having more than like four sacks, five sacks this year. I just don't see it this year. And Yeah, if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be freedom, but, you know, I don't know. Or, or a D-tackle. Right. With the added weight that he's put on, is he going to be the same explosive guy that got four and a half sacks in five games last year? I don't know. I mean, that he looks like a different player, and I don't know if he necessarily has that same off-the-line quickness and explosiveness that he did a year ago. So that, that remains to be seen, and that's your the guy that you're counting on the most to be your most uh, you know, consistent pass rusher. So, yeah, that's, I mean, clearly it's been the issue we've talked about all offseason. It remains the number one issue with this team is not only the pass rush, but overall defensive line depth and production. And I think Dan Hoppen did a by the numbers on this last year for sack numbers, like the the leading individual number was like one of the lowest ever in school history. I think like two or three lowest ever mm-hmm. um, for players' total sack numbers to lead the team. And um, it was the first time I can remember that they just didn't have that premier rush end, which Nebraska has had a lot of them over the years. And uh, they don't, they're not going to have one this year. So that this is where Nate Mark Banker is going to have to earn his money. And schematically, you're going to have to make some tough decisions. And I, I think we've seen it with some different looks in the dime. We saw a 3-2-6. Um, so I think they've realized, hey, we don't have four good D linemen on a dime that we want to put out there. So we're going to use a linebacker and go three, two, six. Yeah, you're going to have to generate a, a pass rush with a linebacker or or blitzing with a, with a dime or a nickel guy. So, um, yeah, you're, you're going to have to get creative because not only do they not have a premier pass rusher that they've had in the past, but they don't even have a, a consistent guy that can apply pressure or anyone really that would make an offensive lineman or a quarterback, um, you know, change a protection, you know, in a third and long situation or be worried about, you know, where's this guy at right now and, and be looking around. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how, how creative they have to get to create that pressure. And, and if that hurts the defense, puts them in, in poor positions, um, you know, because you're, you're taking a guy uh, out of out of coverage and, and trying to make pressure there. The good thing about this schedule as we wrap it up here is Nebraska will see a team like Fresno out of the gates that's kind of a hurry up, no huddle passing team. And then week two, uh, they'll see more of kind of a Big Ten style offense in Wyoming. I mean, they're going to be a pound the ball physical running attack. So I think these two non-conference games will give Nebraska really a good taste of two different style of offenses they're going to see and and will be a good barometer where a year ago it was pass, pass, pass. I mean, we saw um, Southern Miss and BYU and Miami and all of those teams. Who was the fourth non-conference South team? Alabama. South Alabama. All four of those teams wanted to throw. None of them wanted to run. Um, so I do like the mixture 
of what this schedule is going to give Nebraska. All right, when we come back, we're going to take some of your questions. We're going to bring in uh, Matt Reynoldson, one of our newest team members at HuskerOnline.com, and we're going to go through the questions on the Husker Online radio mailbag. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here with the entire team, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and we want to bring in one of our newest members of the HOL team, Matt Reynoldson. He's one of our two new interns we've brought on, and uh, each week we're going to have the HOL Radio Mailbag, where we take your questions from the Red Sea Scrolls here on the Husker Online Show. First of all, Matt, welcome on here to the team at Husker Online. We're glad to have you. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm really excited for the opportunity to get paid to watch football practice. It's not a bad gig. I, I would definitely have taken it in your shoes as well. But let's get right to it. We've got a lot of questions this week on the Red Sea Scrolls. I know you had probably a hard time kind of delving through uh, a lot of a lot of troll questions on there too. A lot of people trying to have some fun with David Eichold and yourself on there. But uh, give us some of the better questions here this week. Husker fans want to know. Well, there was a lot of good questions, a lot of horse and duck fighting questions. But the first one we're going to start with is, uh, Sean, you mentioned last week that the final fall camp scrimmage is usually the biggest indicator on how the upcoming season will go. And so that in 2015, week pass rush, run game struggle, that played out. What were your biggest takeaways from last Saturday for this upcoming season? Um, well, number one, the, the two-minute offense uh, was, was a huge concern, I thought. I mean, for, especially for Tommy Armstrong. You know, he threw two interceptions in his two drives. That was a big issue for me. Um, you know, Riker Fife, though, on the other hand, looked good. He was 10 of 11 to start the scrimmage out. Um, I, I like the versatility Ozigbo showed at running back. Um, I thought the defense looked improved. There weren't just glaring breakdowns in the secondary um, I still have concerns about defensive end. I, I just don't see that consistent edge pass rush um, coming on. Now, Alex Davis has had a good week, but, um, you know, it was a decent scrimmage. I, I thought they were limited, and without those top receivers playing, Robin, it was hard to get a great read uh, on this offense overall. Yeah, and, you know, it was interesting watching that receiver core. I mean, Jordan Westerkamp, you know, he wasn't practicing at all, wasn't even in pads, but made it a point to try and stay in it as involved as much as possible. In fact, uh, was following uh, Darion Grimm, you know, basically every time he came on and off the field, uh, shadowed him in the huddle and then, you know, kind of followed him up to where he was going to line up and then backed off about 15 yards of line of scrimmage. So uh, it just kind of shows that uh, Westy, you know, after football has got a, a good coaching career ahead of him. Yeah, and the shuffling up on the offensive line, I think, was one thing that really stood out to me. Is it seems like Kavanaugh is really trying to find out uh, what what his best five guys are up front. And now that uh, Gerald Foster went out and, and Bo Wilson has stepped up there, so that's kind of an area of concern. Um, you know, the depth up front there in the interior line now. All right, we move the Husker Online mailbag segment on. Matt, what's the next question? From Husker Bay, Coach Langsdorf has made the offense less complicated to help Tommy make better decisions. If Tommy has simpler choices on the field, does that also simplify blocking assignments and help inexperienced linemen like Bo Wilson? I think the key in general, and I spoke this week to a group and I said this, they have to make this offense comfortable for Tommy Armstrong. Um, and, and having him be a traditional three- and five-step pocket quarterback um, is not realistic because Tommy doesn't like to stay in the pocket. He typically rolls around out of the pocket immediately. Um, so what we've seen are a lot of rollouts, a lot of quick hitting passes, a lot of plays on the run. And I think what that does is it cuts the field, Nate, 
in half or even in thirds. And it, it makes Tommy Armstrong not really have to look at as many defenders. Yeah. Limiting how many reads, you know, Tommy has to make, I think has been huge. He's not a, he's not a pocket passer. Like you said, he, he seems to be at his best at rolling out and, um, you know, and, and making those, those short controlled passes instead of needing to, to sit back there and fire it, you know, push, push it downfield. So, uh, I think that's big. I don't know if that necessarily simplifies blocking assignments. I, I think for a guy like Bo Wilson, it's still about learning the the, the playbook and everything. But um, you know, I, I I do think that he's limited the the reads of Tommy, and that should pay off. Well, one of the keys you got to keep in mind, though, is that when a guy is leaving the pocket like that, you got to be very disciplined uh, to avoid holding penalties because uh, that's really when you get into trouble. When your quarterback isn't where you think he's going to be, and you're not watching him, you don't know where he's going. Uh, that you got to make make sure that you're you know, on your p's and q's on that tip and illegal men downfield yeah too. exactly awareness is key all right let's move it on here with matt reynoldson on the hol radio mailbag all right our next question what will lamar jackson's role be and a follow-up question unrelated to the royals come back and make the playoffs <laughs> <laughs> robin you can start out with this one uh well it sounds like lamar jackson if he's not going to be a factor on defense which i think he still has a chance to do uh, he's definitely going to play on special teams and very well could play on every single special teams unit. In fact, Bruce Reed said that as much uh, on Tuesday. Uh, and they, I mean, obviously a guy of that talent, you got to find ways to use him. I think that coaching staff is going to do just that. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he factors in on the base defense. I do think the five defensive backs are really established when they go nickel. Uh, Kyron Williams and Aaron Williams are going to be the nickel and safety. Nate Gary, Chris Jones, Joshua Kalou. Those five are the guys. I think Lamar Jackson's probably the next man in the rotation um, on defense. But special teams, Nate, I think is the more realistic role for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's a realistic role for him. And, and Bruce Reed said he's really embraced that, and he's been very good. He's not a kid who's been making mistakes. Um, and has kind of gone right out there and embraced that role and, and uh, done very well so far. So I expect to see him from week one make an impact on special teams. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is the Husker Online Radio Mailbag. Next question about the schedule outside of Ohio State. What game on the schedule do you think poses the biggest challenge? For me, it's Iowa. Um, I, I just think Iowa, you know, returns so many key guys. They have all their linemen back. They don't beat themselves. They make you beat them. And they may not look sexy doing it, but they win a lot of games in this conference. At least they did last year with that style. And perfect example, Nebraska really out-yarded them and did a lot of things better in Lincoln last year except the turnovers. They And Tommy Armstrong, um, you know, really lost that game on his own. I, that's the game to me, week 13, Robin, that worries me the most. I'm going to do a little bit of a wild card here and say that road game on October 15th at Indiana is going to be one of the more difficult games mentally for Nebraska. Because, for one, you're going into an empty stadium in Bloomington uh, playing against an Indiana team that really hasn't done much of anything in the last however many decades – but you don't underestimate the Hoosiers. They can score in bunches. And their offense, yeah, they lost some big pieces, but they're supposed to be just as good and as potent as they were a year ago. And if Nebraska doesn't bring their A game, uh, not only defensively, but if they can't match uh, Indiana uh, offensively, uh, they could be in some serious trouble. And I'm going to switch it up and go Wisconsin. On the road, at Camp Randall, has not been kind to the Huskers. Night game. Yeah, night game. It has not been kind to the Huskers since joining the Big Ten. So can this be the squad that, that kind of turns the tide there? Uh, you know that they beat them with a last-second field goal last year, and and can Nebraska go on the road and, and get a big win in the division? Digging a little deeper into the mailbag, has Keith Williams being gone impacted the younger receivers on the team? 
Nate, I think you should take this one. You are definitely the closest to that situation with your relationship kind of with those recruits and Keith Williams. Yeah, I think it has had an impact, but I'll tell you what, the, the seniors in that room have really, really stood like stood up and, and kind of taken charge. And, and I think that those young guys are, are looking towards those seniors right now. And, and, uh, and I think that's been that's been huge to see that that leadership that's taken part in that room. And one thing I'll say too, a guy like James Rogers, um, just this week alone, I have noticed his presence. He's a former Oregon State NFL player, J- brother of Jaquez Rogers, who plays, I believe, for the Bears, right, Robin? Um, mm, I think at one point he did. I don't know if he's still there. James Rogers, um, I've noticed his on-field or presence with guys um, has been unbelievable. He was with J.D. Spielman for an extra 45 minutes after practice. Before practice, he spent a lot of time with the Mornay personnel and a number of guys. So I think a number of different people – are stepping up and helping. It's not just on Hardy Buck's shoulders. I think there's probably about five, six guys trying to help out. We got time for one more quick question. Let's switch gears to recruiting then. About next year, is getting an impact JUCO at defensive end a solid plan with the staff or just okay with them if it happens to materialize? Yeah, Andrew Van Ginkle is, is that guy that they'd like to add there at the at the defensive end position. He's a, a bounce back from South Dakota, had a very good redshirt freshman year, and uh, you know he's if they go the JUCO route at defensive end, he's the guy. All right, well, that wraps it up here for this week's edition of the HOL Radio Mailbag. Matt, thanks for um, bringing the questions, and thanks, Red Sea Scrolls, for bringing the questions this week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, when we come back, we'll wrap the show up with Nate Klaus with some thoughts here on Husker recruiting as we are edging closer to that Fresno State opener. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show as we shift over to recruiting. And Nate Klaus comes in here to give us the latest in the world of Husker recruiting. And and let's start. We, we opened the show, Nate, about the loss of Darian Grimm and kind of what that means for Nebraska. Um, Numbers-wise right now, what we can tell you is Nebraska has to eat that scholarship here for at least this semester. Uh, Darian Grimm uh, went into summer school and went through practice. I, I believe he probably even – you know, started classes um, at UNL this this week as well. Um, but, you know, same thing happened a couple years ago when Ernest Suttles left in June or July. Nebraska had to eat that scholarship on the 85 for the season. So Nebraska cannot give that Darian Grimm scholarship to anybody uh, for this fall. Um, but it does open, Nate, a 21st scholarship now um, in this scholarship class for 2017. Yeah, big impact that it's that this decision of Grimm's has is that Nebraska will now have to take another wide receiver in this recruiting class. It, they are, they had planned on taking four for sure, and maybe a fifth, but now it's definitely going to have to be five. And uh, you've got Keyshawn Johnson Jr. and Javon McQuitty already committed, and um, and now they've got to they got to go out and get three more. And and the, I think the big question for me is. Do you entertain the idea of bringing in a junior college wide receiver in the mix now? They're in on some highly recruited, highly talented, and touted guys, but do you do you, do you think about maybe bringing in a JUCO who could who could come in and, and maybe uh, you know give you an immediate impact instead of uh, relying on some of these true freshmen to give you an immediate impact because you're losing three seniors and you're you're returning obviously Stanley Morgan Jr. DeMornay Pearsonell, but beyond that you really don't have anyone who has 
has proven themselves at the collegiate level. So um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how everything kind of plays out, especially with Keith Williams on the shelf with his suspension right now. You know, last year too, Nate, as we talked recruiting with Nate Klaus on the Husker Online Show, Nebraska tried to get three receivers in the class. Um, who The guy out of Kansas City that went to Clemson, right? Uh, Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons and then Desmond Fitzpatrick. Both those guys kind of spurned Nebraska there at the 11th hour. So, yeah, it has really kind of put things in a bind. I mean, they're in great shape right now, but you mentioned all this stuff with the loss of Keith Williams, um, with the loss of now one of your only two signees, um, there is a lot of pressure now for Nebraska to get at least two more receivers in this recruiting class. One well, and Tyjon Lindsay committed to Ohio State earlier in the week, and now I, I still don't think that recruiting or that recruitment is over with. I, I think Nebraska is still going to be involved uh, with him, and he's said that he plans on still taking a couple trips, one of which will be to Nebraska. So that will probably go on towards uh, you know on towards signing day. Uh, Joseph Lewis, though, is, is right at the top of the, the list, a five-star wide receiver out of Los Angeles that made his return trip a couple weeks ago uh, to visit Lincoln. Uh, will be coming back for the Oregon game, quite possibly Fresno State. We'll, we'll have to see. There's a chance that he could switch that visit. But uh, And then Jameer Calvin, those are the top two guys right there at the board for, board for Nebraska. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, it, it becomes a little less clear exactly who they're going to be targeting now uh, to bring in as that, that fifth wide receiver in the class. One name to keep an eye on is Deron Davis, the athlete out of Kansas City that's committed to Missouri. He came up for Friday Night Lights uh, unsolicited, just showed up out of the blue. Had a, had a great performance. Nebraska hasn't offered him yet, no. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, does the departure of Grimm spur on Nebraska offering Deron Davis right now? If that were to happen, uh, he would definitely have a high interest in Nebraska, would take an official visit, and I think could quite possibly flip from the Huskers or from uh, Missouri to the Huskers. And, uh, and that might be part of the reason why they haven't offered him yet, too, because they have a little bit of leverage there because he is so interested. Well, and then the news about Missouri just keeps getting worse by the day. I mean, their <clears throat> freshman enrollment numbers dropped by 1,200 uh, from year over year in Columbia. Just a lot of things going on there that make Missouri a very poachable situation. But I want to get back to Tyjon Lindsey, Nate. This is a guy that you know we've seen multiple times, incredible talent. Um, I know at one point you felt very good about where Nebraska stood, uh, but the uh, Tate-Martell relationship clearly uh, was just something that was too hard to overcome. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a a pendulum that had been swinging back and forth between Nebraska and Ohio State. Last spring, early last spring, it was all Ohio State. And then he visited for the spring game, and it kind of swung towards Nebraska's favor and had stayed there uh, for quite a while. He, he visited, uh, you know, worked out with Keith Williams at the satellite camp in, in California, came to Friday Night Lights, uh, you know, in late June. So things were looking very, very good for Nebraska. And then he goes to Friday Night Lights um, in Ohio and Ohio State, uh, with Tate Martell and a lot of those other guys, and and that kind of swung back towards the Buckeyes' favor, and and then that's where it stayed. So um, Nebraska came in second here, and and you know it's tough, but again, it, this is not going to be something that that you can completely count the Huskers out of until until he signs on the dotted line, especially with his relationship with Keith Williams. You know, Nate, the one that worries me, not Joseph Lewis necessarily, is Jameer Calvin. I just think, you know, with, with 
some of the comments that have been out there, you know, they need to get him back here. I think we talked about this last week as well, but they just need to kind of rekindle that relationship here, get him on campus, get him to a game. Um, because at one point I really felt like Nebraska was the clear leader, but without Keith Williams on campus for the Fresno state weekend, who was uh, what, you know, Jameer told me a mentor um, to him when we talked to Jameer in, in Atlanta, um, that that's one that worries me right now. Yeah, and that, that is a guy to be concerned about, especially because when you look at the different types of receivers Nebraska's recruiting, Jameer Calvin is probably the the, the closest type of receiver to, to Ty John Lindsay as you can get. There's not a whole lot that separates those two players. And um, and you're right, Jameer Calvin, I think, was a heavy, heavy, heavy Nebraska lean coming out of the spring game. Absolutely loved that visit. Um, you know, camped with Nebraska at the satellite camp in June and um, you know, and things things have kind of cooled a little bit. The the Keith Williams situation didn't hurt, didn't help things at all. Uh, but he is planning on still visiting for the Oregon game. Could be Fresno State, but you're right. You need to get him back on campus to kind of kind of get that feeling back with Jameer Calvin uh, because I, I think some of that uh, some of that post visit high coming out of that spring game is certainly worn off a little bit uh, with him. So. Uh, you know, he's got a tight relationship with, with all those Calabrasca guys. And I think that you know, Nebraska, now that Tyjon Lindsay is kind of off the board, they're really going to be pushing for Jameer Calvin. So it's key to get him back on campus as soon as possible. You start to look ahead, and next week we'll talk about this more as we preview Fresno State. But the weekend for Fresno, what is the number of visitors up to? It's a night game. It's Labor Day weekend. There's so much versatility Nebraska can have with that weekend, Nate, because kids can fly in on Saturday. They can stay till Monday because of the Labor Day holiday. Nebraska doesn't even practice on Monday. Um, so there, there's a really you know a great opportunity that really anybody can come in that weekend they want. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's huge the way that it, that it kind of shakes out with it being a night game, being a holiday weekend, and the fact that now Nebraska can pay for parents to come up on these visits, and and most most parents probably won't have to work on Monday, so that'll probably work out well with their schedule. So they're up to eight official visitors already, two of which are five stars, six of which are rivals, one hundred prospects. So this could be the the most talented weekend that we've seen in a very, very long time, dating back to maybe that, that 2007 USC game weekend or the home opener for that uh, that 2005 class with Ray Maluga and, and some of those guys that came in. So, um, you know, you've got Darnay Holmes, who's five-star corner, and Foster Serrell, who is a, the five-star offensive tackle, the number three overall player in the country. Those are the two headliners right now. And then you have the, the other Calabasas commits and, and Keyshawn Jr. and Tristan Jebbia. Um, you know, and then Thomas Graham and Jalen Red, the two teammates out of Rancho Cucamonga, both rivals 100 cornerbacks uh, that are scheduled to come in. So, and I expect there to be probably four or five guys, other guys to, to throw their hat in the ring and, and visit that weekend. So uh, definitely looking at a total number of, of 10 to 12 for sure for that Fresno State weekend. Well, we're about a week away from it all beginning in Memorial Stadium. We are all looking forward to the start of college football. That wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 